You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Everybody, this is Danny Anderson thanking you for listening to another episode of the Sectarian Review podcast. I record from Mount Aloysius College where I am an assistant professor of English and uh, I am particularly interested uh, in presenting this show today. Um, the, my guest is Peter Laws and his interests and mine I think uh, map up very nicely and I think he's going to be a perfect fit for this show. Uh, and so Peter, welcome to the show. Hey, Danny, how are uh, Fantastic to be here. Oh, Thanks gosh. for having me. Uh, the pleasure's all mine. And uh, I found you, I think Theophany Media must have um, shared on their Twitter feed. Is Am I yes. right? Yes. Yeah, that sounds about right. And uh, and I thought, well, that sounds right up my alley. What you do is um, you you talk. I mean, you're resting very comfortably in the intersection between um, Orthodox Christian faith uh, and mm-hmm. horror, right? And, and so this is something that uh, is I've always felt like a weirdo in this way, and it's nice to might meet another one, I suppose. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I tell you what. I, I, funnily enough, in in a sense, it's not just nice to meet another fellow weirdo, but I find it quite profound. <laughs> like I remember, I started writing about this sort of stuff maybe about 10 years ago. And at the time, I just felt there was nobody else really that I was aware of that was willing to say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in spirituality and Christianity, but I also love monster films or I love watching films that are dark and scary. And for a while, it was quite isolating. And I remember the first moment when I, I was reading a book where a Christian admitted that they liked that sort of thing. And I remember like tears coming to my eyes and I was thinking, what's going on here? And I suddenly realized that sometimes the kind of the cultural choices we make can make us feel so off kilter, particularly if you're in the religious world. And so I'm just delighted to meet other people and more and more these days, like we're all kind of coming out of the woodwork in, in a way, but more and more people who are willing to embrace their their, their Christianity, but also their, 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 their weirdness. And there's enough of us to show that it's actually not weird at all. It's quite normal. <laughs> exactly, right? And this has been a, a beautiful thing about the internet for me, honestly. Um, many of the people I have the most in common with are uh, people who don't live uh, in my zip code, right? And so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I could totally. Yeah, and uh, and I have to say sort of on a personal, we have kind of opposite trajectories. I'm sort of someone who grew up in the church and sort of hid my love of horror. Uh, you were someone who did not. You were a, a later in life convert, right? Uh, and, and so- yes. Uh, well, I'll talk about that in a second, but from coming uh, someone who came up in the church as I did, um, I, for whatever reason, just really loved the the old Universal monster movies as a little kid. I just oh, I couldn't yeah. get enough of them, and so I, I remember making this little book uh, when I was a kid called My Heroes, and they were all like <laughs> the Wolfman and all the and, and I did little biographies and sketches Aww. of them, and and my mom was very disappointed with me because uh, she thought they should be like King David and, and things like that. Why <laughs> why are these not your heroes, right? And so that that's sort of like an emblematic moment for for my kind of uh, whatever tension that I've lived with yes. uh, my whole life. And so yeah, yeah, mm. this is this is a lot of fun for me. Um, so, Peter, why don't you tell us a little bit about your um, work and then we'll kind of get into the details of your biography and, all, and, and the kind of work that you do. But what are your sure. interests? Um, well, I mean, I'm uh, I've, I've got a few different kind of things on my CV, if you will, uh, <laughs> which can be a bit confusing to people. So I'll just bung them all in and explain them. Um, I'm. I'm mainly, I suppose the work I do today is mainly in the world of kind of writing novels and podcasting. And so I'm a crime fiction stroke horror author of a series of books um, called the Matt Hunter series of books, which is about an atheist ex-church minister who spends his time kind of trying to debunk Christian faith and, uh, and deal with evangelical Christian serial killers. <laughs> so, um, but also I am an ordained uh, church minister as well. And so sometimes that can sound like a bit of a disconnect that my books 
um, have the hero as being the atheist. And in some ways, the, 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 the crazy killers as being the Christians. And yet I am quite open about being a Christian myself. So I do that. Um, but I also, um, I write for a magazine, a, a monthly magazine called The 14 Times, um, which is uh, explores kind of strange phenomena and bizarre things around the world. Um, I've been writing for them for about 10 years. And um, recently I've gotten back into podcasting again in a fairly major way. I, I used to do podcasting about 10 years ago. I started this little show called The Flicks the Church Forgot, and that was reviewing horror movies from a um, kind of Christian perspective. But this year I've launched a new podcast during lockdown, which has been wild. It's called um, Creepy Cove Community Church, and it's basically church services broadcast from a mysterious haunted fishing town where all horror movies actually happened. It's uh, it's pretty wild. It's a combination of kind of comedy, genuine sort of spiritual input. There's sermons, there's prayers and meditations, but there's also gothic sounding hymns and appearances from horror film characters. So there's a lot of, uh, there's a few different things that I do, but in a sense, they all have a thread. Um, and, and I think the thread is like a quest for, this is going to sound really a bit Oprah Winfrey here, but like a quest for transcendence or a quest for, you know, looking up. Um, because to me, those two subjects have the same goal. Um, my quest for faith and my interest in those topics um, has the same motivation as my interest in horror and the macabre and the supernatural. Both of those quests were about, I, I think maybe there's something more than just kind of average life. I got a feeling there's something more exotic out there, something more um, enchanted, as it were. And so horror films were my doorway into that, that way of thinking, because horror films were saying, hey, maybe there's something epic going on in your neighborhood that you don't know about. Yeah. I mean, The Exorcist doesn't work if there's not a God, right? I mean, and so... Well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah precisely. And, and and The Exorcist was was a very key film for me, really, uh, in growing up. I I remember, I, I mean, I used to watch all sorts of horror movies and um, I was, I'm of an age where I I was, was early enough to see some of the, what they call in Britain, the video nasties when the VHS uh, era came out and they were uncertificated. And... Um, for some reason, the people in the video store, even though I was like, what, 10 or something, would say, hey, Peter, I've got zombie flesh eaters. Do you want to see that? That's, that's got some good effects. And so I watched all that stuff and, and loved it. But The Exorcist stood apart in the sense that I, I was nervous about watching that one. There was some, and, I was, and I was asking myself, why, why does this one scare me? What is it doing? What, what is it about, about me that is happy to embrace the zombie, but the idea of kind of a religious themed horror movie that's freaking me out. And it was later that I started to realize, well, because that was touching on themes that would be relevant to me later. Yeah. It's uh, it's I, I'm really enthralled by the idea of works of art having kind of like this transcendent effect on our lives and in our, in our spiritual lives, particularly I, mm. I have a, uh, an interesting weird story. I may have told on the show before. I don't remember. I have 160 some episodes in, I don't remember what I've said. Um, <laughs> but, um, the, uh, first time I saw the shining, um, I was in my twenties and living in New York city actually for the first time. And, um, and I, um, after I watched that movie and I was very affected by the movie, I loved it immediately. Um, everywhere I would go in the city, I would start seeing these little, uh, not little girls, but they were like people my age, two girls yeah. that were like twins and they dressed like, old-fashioned girls like Amish girls or something um, right. and and they sort of look like what the grown-up versions of the Shining Twins could look like you know and, uh. and Danny of course um, is seeing them everywhere I go in New York City and it was just the strangest <laughs> like every I if I was lower east side uptown what I didn't matter and then one day they came into this bookstore that I was working in and I grabbed my friend Eric I'm like please tell me that you can see these girls <laughs> and he did of course and it was just a weird coincidence but um, but uh. I don't know it's just such an interesting kind of of, uh, it's almost like there's some kind of communication with uh, with the metaphysical yeah. world that's going on. Well, exactly, and that's that's wild. But but what it does, I mean, like it it instantly, um, you know, that that film. Some people could dismiss it as you know, oh, it's, it's just a film. There's nothing much about it. But it, it what you're describing, what you're describing there, is it almost like opens your mind to a 
like just a different plane of thinking. Um, and some people love that, and some people don't. But the the religious quest is that as well. You know, it's the trying to figure out. You know, maybe there's more on the horizon than what I think. And so um, I'm not surprised that people. Uh, who are also religious can respond to things like fantasy or science fiction. But for me, it was always horror um, because that was the thing that gave me my first sort of frights. And uh, that was the stuff that was, was, was basically saying very fundamentally religious things to me. It was saying, what happens if the supernatural exists? What happens if there's such a thing as objective good and evil? What happens if there's such a thing as life after death? So my interest in these topics were in, in a sense like uh, a hopeful quest to find reassurance that there might be life after death, that there might not be just what I can see in front of me, which yeah. I think is a, a noble quest in my mind. Absolutely, yeah. You're not you're preaching to the choir here in Creepy Cove, as it were. Um, and uh, <laughs> and um, I have to say, I if, if I if I knew this fact about you, I had forgotten it. You write for the Forty in Times. That's another interesting like synchronicity the last episode that was just published before we record this one um is about ancient aliens and uh and that sort of theory and we actually talk about charles fort uh, as kind of a a precedent for uh for all of that kind of modern mythology about aliens and stuff and it's so fascinating that you write for 40 in times i didn't even know that yeah yes i do um, and I've, I've been writing for about over 10 years and um I've, i always get really thrilled to think that i'm a, I'm a monthly columnist in that magazine because it was for you know it's it's one of those magazines that it, it's it's quite hard to kind of get into as it were because there's so many people who want to write for it and then um the fact that i get to to write for it regularly and i, and I love that magazine because it, again what it's doing is it's appealing to people whether they are of faith or not but people who want to lift their eyes up from the mundane and uh, you know other other people who maybe are not as creative or is not as open-minded would just see it as stupid. You know, it's like, well, really? You're interested in Bigfoot, a lot of <laughs> aliens? Like, like, grow up. But to me, it's it, there's something much more complex, something I think really quite beautiful going on with those sorts of people. But the sad part is, of course, is when I became a Christian, I started to find it was those types of people that were being maligned by the church or seen as um, or dangerous even. You know, I've had experiences where I've, been interviewed um, by Christian uh, radio presenters, for example, who have uh, later it's turned out they have requested their friends to pray for them during my interview because they thought I would be coming in with some sort of demon um, because I'm interested in these sort of topics, which is a bit sad, really, because I think the people who dismiss these topics, they can think they're dismissing it on the basis of them being dangerous or evil. But often it's really just down to personal taste mm. and they're just not interested in this stuff. Fair enough. And then they pack around a kind of an exotic and epic framework to that when maybe they just prefer football or something, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> so I've, I've, I've got this kind of feeling of, um, I think I, I, I've, I've experienced myself the loneliness of what it's like to be a weirdo yeah. uh, in the Christian world. And I have a kind of a pastoral connection with other people who may be going through that and yeah. to say you're not alone not at all i like the way you're framing that with a pastoral connection that, that's a really great way to yeah. think about it that's that's I, i'm very moved by that actually and i too have had uh folks reach out to me on private messages on facebook concerned about my soul and all that because i post <laughs> my favorite horror movie of the year or something whatever but um <laughs> so yeah and i don't know i don't know how to handle that to this day so um i'll i'll, I'll consult it's my spiritual advice from you, um, I suppose, about this. Oh, and incidentally, before we move on, um, I noticed this morning when I woke up, you had um, posted some pictures of where I work, uh, Mount Aloysius wow. College, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. because it is a place that almost seems to like be tailor-made for someone like me, right? Oh, my word. Yeah, I know, I know that sounds a bit stalky. That <laughs> it's, I, I like, I'll check my diary, and I'm like, what am I doing today? I'm talking to this guy. I don't know him. I'll, I'll do a bit of stalking. And I just happened to check out... Um, the look of your college just looks absolutely fantastic. I mean, like, I literally, I think in my mind, I, I heard like a, a rumble of thunder as I just looked at this place. And I'm like, that's the place where you have to research like old esoteric books on the occult or something. <laughs> or like, well, I don't know. 
just spooky. <laughs> well, you probably don't do that, but it's got that Lovecraftian vibe. It, it does. And and I am like one flight under my office where I'm recording in right now is one flight under the chapel, which is a beautiful old chapel. Um mm. And uh, actually, this is an old son's uh, nun's cell uh, that is I'm living. This they used to live in these rooms, oh, wow. um, and before they converted them to offices. And so this movie or this movie, this uh, this place does have a uh, a lot of sort of like ghost stories associated with it. And I I actually happen to be the club advisor for the paranormal club on campus. Um, to oh wow! Probably no one's surprised, but um, um, <laughs> yeah, they approached me to see if I would be their club advisor, and and we've done little ghost hunts on campus, and and one of the things I want to do is sort of curate a, a kind of a folk history of all the kind of ghost stories um, are, that are associated yeah. with the campus. There's supposedly things, and and I have to say, so I don't know that I've ever said this on air either, and I don't know that I should, but I will anyway because you know whatever. But um, I sometimes I'm recording this podcast very late at night, um, where I'm working very late at night, and so I'm the only one in the building. And so as I'm walking like all the way through all these halls that are darkened by that point, it can be a little like scary and intimidating, right? Mm. Um, there's statues up and everything, and and so I've always just taken to just staring at the ground and walking forward and not looking around. And there is like one spot in the main hallway there's this we have these two wooden staircases we call them the golden staircases that have certain like kind of you know urban legends associated with them and uh as i'm on that spot one time i just felt like someone was standing right behind me right and and i paused and i didn't i didn't do anything i just kept on going and then i kind of looked back once i got to the the hall and then another time i was in that same spot and i distinctly heard shuffling (laughs) In that same spot, and so uh, yeah, I I don't know how I feel about things like ghosts and things like that in in actuality, yeah. but uh, I have had a couple of moments where I'm like, I can see where ghost stories come from at least. Yes, yeah. maybe you should ask that lady who stood behind you up on the table there, dressed as a nun. <laughs> don't yeah, don't she's, do. She's been, sta- she's been staring the whole time, and I'm like, when's she gonna start asking questions? Oh, she's oh, whoa, she's gone. Oh my word. Run. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh yeah, they know me well by now, the ghosts, and so I, I consider them my friends. So um anyway, so yeah, this is a fun place to work and uh and they've been weirdly um supportive of me and my interests. I teach a horror film class here and and, and, oh, uh, cool. and they allow me to do that kind of thing and they allow me to do this kind of stuff, and so I'm very lucky to work here. So let's make this about you though. Um let me uh start you you'd mention weirdness, and that is sort of the name of the little biography it's like an intellectual biography that you wrote. Yeah. Um, that you get um, if you sign up for your your newsletter, and I'll let you uh, um, do all that kind of promotional stuff if you like. Um, um, but why don't you tell me a little bit about your kind of journey from um, a non-religious? Um, I don't know if you would you would have considered yourself atheist, um, but a non-religious person who loved horror into um, into the world of uh, Christian faith. Mm, good question. Um, yeah, well, I, I wouldn't describe myself as an atheist uh, growing up, but I would definitely describe myself as someone who was antagonistic towards Christianity in particular. And uh, I didn't discover that until maybe I was a teenager. But before that, my, my family never went to church. I had no interest in, in going to church because I just saw it as being really quite irrelevant to me. But I was interested in kind of spiritual, supernatural ideas because I had this kind of ambition I suppose that maybe that my hometown is more ex- more more exciting than than I think it is. I I wasn't particularly interested in sports or those sorts of things. Um, I, I I tended to think about like the films I watched and horror films and stuff. And so I I was fascinated by watching films about the supernatural and uh, reading books about that sort of thing. But Christianity uh, was not something that I rejected because I rejected the concept of God. It was Christians, I think, that I had the trouble with because I didn't know any for a start. And I felt that they would be um, wanting to change me and maybe wouldn't care about me because I started to have experience of Christians at school, which were negative experiences where the, the, the local church maybe would hire a kind of gang of like funky, cool Christian teenagers to come in and and um, sort of start like walking in like West Side Story style, like, hey, guys, <laughs> um, I'm hip and you can be too. Um, well, okay, it wasn't that bad. But, you know, they would, they would come in and sort of display their relevance to me as a teenager. But 
um, they would present it in a way that would say, well, you know, come and join this amazing worldview, but of course you'll need to forget all of the stuff that you've been talking about to us, like you're interested in, in horror and the macabre and stuff. That's obviously got to go because that can't be anything but demonic. And I, I don't think people appreciate what a big deal it is to ask somebody to give up their cultural interests. It's it's a little bit like, you know, sometimes if I go to a, um, a church service where the pastor, all he talks about is sport or football or something, because I'm not that into it, I start to disconnect from that person. Or imagine if you go to a friend of yours and you say, I don't know, um, oh man, don't, doesn't, don't you just love Jaws? What an amazing film. And they just said, it's crap. <laughs> Jaws is a piece of crap. And they'd be like, what? How, how, how can you say? And you're like, I can't even get my head around this. So, so there was an isolation because they were dismissing my cultural interests. I thought, well, either I drop that, but that's a fundamental part of my personality or I um, ignore it. And, and in the ignoring of it, I was surprised at how riled it made me. And I started to get a bit angry. So it's a thought that I wasn't allowed to have both, that I couldn't have God and I couldn't have my interests. And so I, I did react not too great. I would sometimes um, be unfair towards my Christian RE teacher. I started to do stupid things like um, wanted to freak the RE teacher out. So we'd get the Bibles in, um, in my class. Uh, and when nobody was looking, I would kind of circle vigorously like words like Satan or something like that. Cause I thought, right then, if they think I'm the demonic, I'm going to try and make them think there's some sort of demonic conspiracy in the school. And I wasn't that type of person. So I wasn't trying to hurt anyone, but it, I was interested to see I had this kind of anger or cause I felt it was unfair. And the fundamental problem I had, I think was there was a people basically saying, God loves you, but he can only love a certain version of you. And to become that version of you is to stop being you. And I'm like, that that's an impossible dilemma and something I don't know if I even want to experience. So yeah, so I, I, I didn't really go for church or anything then until I went to university when I was um, studying, studying there. And when I was at uni, I I had a few friends die and um, I met a girl who I really fancied who um, wanted to be like, we wanted to go out, but then she realized I wasn't a Christian and she wasn't interested in me because it turned out she was a Christian, which I thought was weird cult-like behavior. <laughs> I was like, surely just go out. Like you can go out with who you like. But then it was, I was starting to think maybe there's some, she clearly thinks this is a big deal. And that intrigued me. And when I went to, I went to the Christian union and then started meeting some normal Christians that I hadn't had that experience of. And eventually I started to realize that maybe, maybe I could try this out just to see what happens. And I did, I became a Christian and my life really changed, but I did go through a period of feeling like I had to become something different to what I am. So I started to stop, started to stop like bad English. I stopped watching horror films, for example. And I started saying, oh, well, maybe I'll get into fantasy instead and I'll, that will click with me eventually. And it never really did. And, and throughout it, I had that sinking feeling of um, like a film like The Stepford Wives, which always resonated with me in the book, Ira Levin. The idea that um, those women in that film and in that book were not allowed to be themselves. They had to become a version of themselves. I started thinking, you know, I think that's, I think that's what I'm becoming. I'm not me anymore. And I'm not sure if this is what God thinks is right. <laughs> um, and eventually, anyway, I, I, I went to, I trained for ordination. And when I was doing that, I did a master's degree. And um, part of that for my dissertation, I thought, I'm going to explore this topic of horror and the Bible. And um, eventually I thought, you know what, that it actually can be a very healthy and a natural interest. And I went on later, a few years ago, to write a, a full nonfiction book about that, which was an amazing experience. That book is called The Frighteners, Why We Love Monsters, Ghosts, Death and Gore. Oh, in America, the title is um, The Frighteners, A Journey Through Our Cultural Fascination with the Macabre. And that book took me to Transylvania and to R Rome and, and throughout Britain, having very crazy experiences, but all on a quest to understand and defend 
why human beings find it natural to be fascinated with the morbid and how that can even be a springboard for spirituality. But yeah, that was, that was a cool book. Cause in that book, it, it's, it, even though it's kind of, it's, it's in the sort of psychology section, I suppose, or the cultural studies section, it's, it's quite a kind of fun, funny, experiential book where I go hunting for werewolves in Hull. I, um, I get, you know, I get chased by zombies in an underground nuclear bunker in Essex. And it's just, it's wild. The, the BBC blind drove me to a mansion in the middle of nowhere and electrocuted me and threw spiders on me to help me learn about why I like to be scared. Turns out I don't like to be scared that much. <laughs> spiders on me and stuff. But, but, but that whole book was to defend this. And actually I've, I've got a copy of the book here and I'm just going to very, I'm not going to give you a reading, but I, the dedication, I dedicated this to my children. And this was the dedication. And what I've been amazed at is the amount of people who've read this book and been touched by it and have told me that it's helped them, even if they're not into horror, because it's a, the book is ultimately about being yourself. And it says um, uh, to my kids, this book about scary things sometimes being fun ended up as a celebration of self-acceptance but it takes thousands of words to get there. And there are some pretty freaky bits along the way. So for now, you can just read the shorter nine word version of the book. And here it is. Be who you want to be, okay? Be you. And that, that's what this book's about. That's what I'm about of saying, like, and whoever's listening to this now, you might have different interests. You might not be interested in horror. I've got like clergy friends who collect like porcelain penguins for crying out loud. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's weird. I don't get it. But I, I, I want to celebrate and embrace the diversity of the strangeness and the weirdness of, of human beings. Um, and my, my version is a bit Gothic. Other people's are different, but that's, that's kind of what I'm about. My whole, that's my kind of my life's mission <laughs> as it were. I think that's what it's about. Yeah, no, and I, I am in the same way, right? And and I feel like, particularly with church, like church people, the church culture, I don't know how you want to talk about this, but um, oh. th there's a, a ready acceptance for things like sports. I mean, there's entire um, ministries uh, dedicated to ministering to Christian athletes on college campuses or or, or uh, wherever, uh, or high school even. And, um, and there's a way in which they have no trouble kind of incorporating those sorts of like personal um, interests and that, that, the, the, that those ways in which people create meaning for themselves. Um, mm. And yet there's this kind of aversion to this other way. Right. Um, and even fantasy, I mean, Harry Potter is, has been famously kind of um, verbatim, you know, uh, verboten, excuse me, uh, mm. in a lot of church circles. Right. And so, yeah, there, it seems to me, I, maybe it's because it's against me, of course, but it seems to me utterly unfair. <laughs> that there's a <laughs> And I wrote um, at the beginning of the year before lockdown, I had the, I was lucky enough to get the cover story of the 14 times um, in, I think it was January. And that was all about a, a, a big sort of exploration of the work of Jack Chick, who mm. you may be familiar, familiar with. I was just um, going to mention that, Jack Chick, yes. Oh, fantastic. So I've, I've got a collection of Jack Chick tracts, which I've been building over the years because I love that stuff. Even though I find it like shockingly offensive, <laughs> I still am just drawn to it as well. Um, but I wrote this article which explored his theories and his um, his uh, conspiracy theories, but also his beliefs about um, – you know, d demons and uh, and the the Catholic Church being sort of uh, part of the Illuminati and organizing assassinations and stuff. It's all it's all very wild stuff. Um, but that yeah, that that's that's an example of uh, you know a Christian approach, which is saying um, it's not just horror films that are dangerous, but ev ev everything that doesn't fit into a very narrow band. So rock music is the classic example, and there's the the famous Jack Chick article called, I think it's called Green Angels, where like a rock band starts to play and they sign their soul to the devil and the devil's called Lou, his first name and his second name is Sifa. <laughs> so, and, and, but it's, but it's crazy. So they sign this and they get fame for playing rock music and it's Christian rock music, I think, but they still, they fall into vampirism. One, uh, at one point, Lucifer or the devil or someone comes up and says, because you've done this, I'm going to give you a present, have some AIDS. <laughs> and and it's, just, it's just like, it's so offensive and shocking. Um, and yet it's, it's, it demonstrates 
I think, a worldview that is is ultimately about personal taste. You know, it's saying, well, I don't like rock music. Why can't we listen to Perry Como or something a bit more kind of chilled out? And I, I don't I, I like all sorts of music. But um, but I think this is this is some of the problems, I suppose. Funny enough with the Jack Chick thing, um, I I talked about how people get chicked, you know, how they he, his um things get slipped into album covers of heavy metal bands and stuff. And someone in America went into a kind of Barnes and Noble or somewhere and bought my book, The Frighteners. And they came and they took a picture of it and they said, bravo, Peter, this is clever. You've slipped in a Jack Chick tract <laughs> into your books as a kind of promo because I'd written this article. And I'm like, that's got nothing to do with me. And so somebody who was sharing the tracts had obviously gone through the bookstore and said, this, whoever reads this, someone is desperately in need of saving. So let's stick a track track in. And I just, I held that like a badge of honor, but. That is amazing. Anyway. Yeah. We um, did a show on Chick Tracks a couple of years ago and, uh, and I, I got to kind of do a dive into that. And that's actually, so this is from someone who grew up in church, right. And, and sort of hid this part of himself um, from, from folks because they thought they'd have to lay hands on me and stuff because of. Friday the 13th or something. Right. And so, um, but the, um, uh, there was, there were these avenues in, um, Christian, in my kind of low church evangelical Christian culture. Uh, I grew up Nazarene and, um, um, that where I could sort of experience the things I love about horror in kind of sanctified ways. And Chick Tracks is one of them, right? Yes. Um, I actually just wrote something for pop culture and theology about why Christians are so kind of um, drawn to conspiracy theories. And, and I, I sort of say some of this in that article. So if anybody's read that, I'm, I'm kind of repeating myself. But another one mm-hmm. is um, and, and on the Chick Tracks things. I distinctly remember a, uh, a and I don't remember which, you know, which comic this is in, but there's like a picture of, of it's a, an anti new international version um, of the Bible chick track. Oh, it's one about yeah. it's a King James only um, the- mm-hmm. theology. And there's like, it's got the Pope and some other people like handing the, the NIV version of the Bible as this way to kind of yes. deceive the nations. I distinctly remember this, right? Um, yeah. And, um, but anyway, and then another one was these rock and roll seminars. They would always drag us to. And, mm-hmm. and that was, I mean, I don't think the people had understood what a profound effect that was having on me unintended uh, on their part um, because yeah. it was introducing me to music that I'd never heard before. Like I'd never heard yeah. of ACDC until they were playing me. Like, I'm like, man, Highway to Hell is a really good, that's a great riff, right? <laughs> so I would have never even discovered it right without them. But uh, and then um, the uh, the one that stands out to me the most though is there was some guy uh, who opened up a copy of Hotel California by the Eagles, and uh, yeah. and and it shows a picture of the band looking all eagerly in this sort of decadent California, you know, hippie whatever wasteland. And uh, and yeah. and in the balcony, there's this distant figure, right? And this guy kept zooming in and in and in and in on this figure in the balcony, and it's just just kind of weird looking dude up in the corner and he says says this is satan <laughs> and it's like you just told a 10, just told a 10 year old boy that i here is a picture of satan and then you're expecting me to be normal right <laughs> wow that's good i mean it's, it's pretty wild stuff but this is what i found interesting is that even the people who found chick to be offensive and shocking they were still drawn to his work because um, it was this strange combination, yeah, of um, like EC comics horror yeah. um, with with conspiracy theory and all that sort of stuff. And what I was really surprised at and delighted at is that this article, which was very open about his um, his his views and you know and wasn't supporting them, I was able to do that article with the blessing and involvement of Chick Publications themselves. So um, I got in touch with them. They were able to give me like photographs that we could use. Um, and also, I just said to the guys who run there, I said, look, I mean, this is an opportunity for you to reach out to the people who you think are lost or whatever. So I'll give you I'll give you a section, you know, where you can give a message to the people reading this. And they, they did. And um, so it was pretty wild seeing, um, uh, you know, the people at Chick Publications over the moon about this article coming out, even though it contained things which I knew the readers would be utterly appalled at. But... Anyway, yeah. it's um, it's a fascinating, uh, it's a fascinating world we're living in right now as well. Like I um, with regards to this sort of thing, I as well as my um 
Creepy Cove podcast, I also have a Patreon, um, which has lots of benefits and stuff, but it also has this members only kind of private podcast that comes with that, which sounds a bit pervy, but no, it's <laughs> nothing like that. I promise. It's just like this weekly podcast, which I do, which I explore kind of strange things. And in that podcast, it always has a section called Holy Moly, which looks at the really weird, bizarre, creepy things that are going on in the Christian world today. And, um, there is never a shortage of wacky and disturbing things that are coming out each week uh, to do with um, Christianity. Just this last week, we did a, a whole section on um, a, a book that's just come out talking about how sex dolls come with an inherent demon in them and the sort of the, the, the possession potential of sex toys. And it, it's just, it's, there's a lot of like cultural clashes going on. And I find that stuff really fascinating. While I don't necessarily agree with everything evangelicals say, and that's that's very true, I don't. I still find them really fascinating, and 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 it's almost like my feeling of horror. Like I like horror not because I enjoy death. Um, <laughs> like some people mistake me for this; they think, "Oh, you're drawn to watching films about people being stabbed in the woods because you like the idea of someone being stabbed in the woods for real." And I'm like, no, the reason why I like films like that is because I'm so disturbed at the possibility that someone could get stabbed in the woods for real. Um, and it's always been my mechanism of trying to deal with my fears. And in The Frighteners, I, there's a passage, there's a, sorry, there's a chapter on children, which talks about how in the months and weeks after 9-11, children were observed, people who'd had parents and family members die in the Twin Towers, for example, these kids were observed building Lego towers and Lego airplanes and smashing them into each other over and over. And people around them were obviously disturbed by this and saying, come on, Billy, like, are you, you're um, trivializing what happened to your parent. You are, um, you're, you're just acting weird because they were doing it repeatedly over and over. But then child psychologists came and said, do not stop them doing that. Do you realize the chaos they have been thrown into and how it's impossible to, um, articulate how to deal with that. And one of the ways we deal with it is taking the things that disturb and frighten us and putting them into methodical, repetitive patterns. When I watch a horror film and when I write scary, horrible murders in books, I'm not doing that to celebrate murder. I'm doing that because I'm, I'm more scared and disturbed by suffering and death than most people I know. Um, and so I keep put going through these repetitions of trying to get mastery over my fears. Mm -hmm. But not everyone will see that. And someone as a hardcore Christian will come along and just be very dualistic and binary about it and go, you like Friday the 13th, because ultimately deep down, you'd like to stab a woman. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what? No, absolutely not. It's, it's, it's complex, I think. But most people who like horror, I think they get it. They go, yeah. In fact, some of the horror people I know, they are abs they're absolutely gentle, wonderful, nonviolent people. Yeah. The, I mean, it's kind of, I mean, the horror community as it is, I mean, the, the people that go to those conventions and do cosplay and all that, they are very um, sweet people, right? Uh, and, yeah. and and it's, uh, yeah, that is totally true. And I, I also, on that note, I read recently that folks that who are into horror um, are actually psychologically better prepared for things like coronavirus. Um, they've been doing better than people <laughs> for some reason. There's some sort of therapeutic, yeah. um, like, you know, aspect to what the, those interests bring and stuff. Yeah. You know, so. I, I, I read that too. And um, it's, it's, it's true. It, it bears out, I think. And, um, and the, in a way, you know, sometimes you'd think that, well, ultimately we want a, a, a true paradise society would be one in which we, we got rid of real life violence, but also that we got rid of fake violence. Cause you know, if we were just all like hopping around and having a nice gentle, um, time and not feeling compelled to look at this dark stuff that that's the ultimate aim surely but again in this frighteners book i talk about a tribe um, called the gabusi tribe that was studied that um they they have uh, a society where they don't have any kind of rituals that involve violence they're forbidden for telling stories that are dark and scary and um basically it's um, a place that you would think would be the ideal kind of Christian environment because they've got rid of all fake 
um, ritualistic and uh, story type violence, but they have one of the highest homicide rates on the planet because they, they've got no way of exploring their fears and the realities of physical death and suffering, and also the realities of anger and how anger can spill over into homicide. Yeah. You know, I think, I think it, it, there's something complex going on with our morbid culture, and that's why it sustain. It, so that's why it's it's carried on. That's why when you look at the books that um, that have endured through the ages, you will find you know Titus Andronicus or, or Beowulf or all these other stories that r remain. They don't persist. Despite of their violent elements, they probably persist because precisely because of them, because yeah. they resonated with us. My co my colleague just taught Titus Andronicus uh, this semester, and she came up to me and she hadn't read it in years. She says, "I am shocked. <laughs> she, I, I, I don't know that they're going to be. Able, like, they were like, yeah, it's pretty hard, pretty hardcore. Yeah, um, yeah, um, yeah. There's so much there. Um, I, I have to say, this is where I, I, I risk offending. You know." Um, some people. So you know, this is my own personal opinion, sure. but I do feel like you're describing among evangelicals, the sense that um, consuming something is going to kind of make you sinful, right? Um, that, that's sort of at the yeah. heart of this is consuming this kind of thing is what makes bad things happen in the world. Um, and that tribe mm -hmm. is a good example of how that's not necessarily yeah. the case. Um, I also think that this is, uh, I, I kind of draw a parallel. I think that there's sort of a, 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 a a pattern in which kind of centrist liberal, um, you know, politically, uh, people do the same thing. I think that this, um, they want to sanitize, uh, things that are offensive just from a different criteria <laughs> yeah. of what defines those mm. things as offensive. Right. But there's a very yeah. evangelical quality to this idea that consuming, some terrible comedian is going to make you a sexist or something like that. Right. <laughs> and so yeah, and I'm exactly. not, this is not me being, um, I'm not trying to kind of defend bad comedians or anything like that, but I do think that there's, uh, pr probably from my mind, an undue, um, emphasis on those kinds of things. I don't think the world would have been better had Don Rickles not been in it. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and I think that you have, you have some people, yeah. yeah. That's no, my own I think, opinion. <laughs> I think that's interesting that you should bring comedy into play there because I do think those two things are very similar in that I think the functions of comedy and the functions of horror are very similar in that they tend to um, they tend to latch on to the very kind of the most shocking and worst sometimes um, and you could say trivialize them or turn them in, turn them into something different. But actually, in the process of doing that, it's not—it's—it's it's usually not to celebrate it. Yeah. It's usually to either satirize it, to mock it, um, and to belittle it. And so, yeah, um, I think I, I do see what you're saying. If, uh, in one sense, the people who want all of our films to be banal and non-offensive in a Christian way—you know, no violence, no horror, whatever, no blood. Um, I suppose, yeah, that's interesting to suggest. Could it be a similar approach to say, you know, let's let's take out all of the shocking realities to comedy? Um, I don't know. It, uh, to me, I think it's. I think the older I get, the the more I realize that the, the world does not function very well in black and white thinking. Right. Um, it does. Uh, this is something. I mean, you might be aware of the Franciscan monk uh, Richard Raw, but this is something he talks about a lot. Uh, the idea that the first half of your life is about black and white thinking. And you need that, you know, you need to be able to know, don't get in the stranger's car. He might be Ted Bundy, <laughs> right? It probably isn't, but it's kind of helpful to know that. And, um, and, and you, we grow up with these very kind of strict frameworks, which do make sense, you know, don't be, don't cross the road in the motorway, you'll die or that sort of thing. However, um, when you get older, you just start getting more and more data, which challenges those sorts of, black and white thinking um an example would be maybe when you're when you're young as a christian and the the, the pastor at the front says you know there is nothing valuable in any other religion um you know all of the religions are ultimately the work of um lucifer <laughs> or the devil and um and you go yeah that sounds about right and, and it might be just because you've never met anyone from there and then you go to university or college or you go to work and you have a colleague and you come back when you're 40 or 50 and you go, you know what? That guy who's a Muslim down at work, 
he, he's actually a really decent person. I, I, in fact, he's sometimes more morally impressive, let's say, or devout than some of my Christian friends. And what happens is your black and white thinking starts to actually get challenged and it becomes grayer. And there's two responses to that. One is to say, oh, crap, I'm, I'm backsliding. You know, I'm losing my faith because faith surely is about frameworks and circuit boards. So everything must lock in because we've been so influenced by, you know, science and modernism and like everything's got to make sense. Or you say, and, and then you, and then so many people will say, therefore, well, this doesn't make sense to me anymore. I'm off. Mm. And they jack it in. Or you respond by saying, the world is looking more gray. Maybe I'm finally reaching the next level of spiritual maturity <laughs> to, to think, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but I know that love and kindness and the things that Jesus demonstrates are self-evidently fantastic. So let's err on the side of those things. So it's, it's, it's fascinating. Um, but, but some people just feel more comfortable with that dualistic on-off baddie, goodie yeah. mentality. Yeah. Yeah. When I um, lived in New York, I um, went to Timothy Keller's church um, who, uh, oh, yeah. 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 And, um, and, and that I, I I don't always agree with Timothy Keller now, but I mean, people, there are people on Twitter who love the trash Timothy Keller. Okay. Um, mm. and, and, but that's what Twitter's for, I suppose. But uh, for someone like me who came out of like a Midwestern American, um, kind of low fundamentalist, uh, Christian faith, that was, a, a instrumental. I mean, that was like, um, absolutely vital, uh, moment in my, my spiritual development, um, being, um, influenced by him at that time. And like I said, I don't agree with everything that he says now or thinks now, but one of the things that he would say is, um, that it's really good for people like me, um, to move to New York city where you are confronted with the fact that people who are not Christians are actually better people than you. <laughs> right. And, and that's actually a really good, uh, yeah. um, that's a, that's a good destabilizing lesson. And, uh, hmm. and, and that's something that's always stuck with me. Um, and that kind of, I think, uh, is why Timothy Keller is always going to be very special to me, um, as, as a person yeah. but yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, of course, and then you will find then um that the people who really stick to their their tribes um and don't see any need to challenge their own way of thinking normally they are they they are people and i mean on both sides of the argument are people who just don't have many friends from the other side and yeah. so you know there could be other people who um are you know very strong kind of anti-christian like i was you know growing up I just wrote Christians off as being a bunch of losers or like, or like weirdos. And, I, and I'm like, what, why would you believe this stuff? I don't get it. And then I actually, when I met some of them, I'm like, holy, holy moly, this guy's like at university. He's like a lecturer in physics. I, huh? That doesn't make sense. And again, my, 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 my original frameworks that wrote off Christianity were being challenged. And we do that through interaction with other people, which, um, which I love. I love interacting with people who have other ideas to me. But what I find really interesting, and I don't know if you find this in the US, but in the UK, I found this. When, when a Christian student, let's say, is about to go off to college or university, and if it's not a Christian college, yes. there's this, there's, people kind of will pray for them and will pray, Lord God, we pray you would keep them steadfast and protect them from you know, help them find a good Bible-believing church and protect them from other worldviews. And you're like, don't you get that that's going to be a really godly experience for them to meet people who are different from them? That's that's good. That's that's a miracle. We need more of these sorts of miracles. That's why the world's so divided because everyone's, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to parlor instead of Facebook yeah. and I'm going to hang out there. Uh, <laughs> So I don't have to speak to anyone or the opposite way. Other people say, I'm never going to go to parlor. I'm going to go to my own echo chamber. It's easier for some people to do this than others, though, because I think if your view of the world is that um, it's about threat and defense and control, uh, yeah, I mean, you're going to try and protect yeah. protect your borders. But I'm that's not where I'm from. I believe God is bigger than than my paddock, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. Protect them from evolution um, when they get to their biology class, right? That's uh, yeah, that, yeah, exactly. that is yeah. definitely an American phenomenon as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, this conversation um, is 
a really good moment, I think, to spin into your creative work. Um, and um, because it, I think one thing that kind of stands out to me um, based on um, what we've what I've looked into you and what we've talked about here is that there's a couple of ways in which Christians engage in art, right? Um, more probably more than a couple, but there's two sort of ways that I'm interested in here. One is this sort of um, simplistic kind of um, wholesomeness, right? And and it's very sort of didactic, um, typified by things like the Pure Flix films and something with Kirk Cameron and those sorts of things, right? Um, where there's a kind of a clear moral lesson and God's not dead. Uh, and uh, oh, these are these are good examples, right? Um, which to me are very poor art. It's sort of like the cinematic version of the Thomas Kincaid painting, right? Um, which to me is the least Christian um, kind of art because it, Thomas Kincaid is that's a world without the fall. Like that doesn't, the fall doesn't right. exist in yeah. that world. And, and to me, that's completely anti-Christian. But, um, but your work is actually, I think, much more nuanced in, in the way that you approach these things. And it actually reminds me of um, – Maybe not. Maybe not. This particular work reminds me of work that you do, but the the approach of the work. One of the most profoundly like religious films I've seen recently is I love Hammer films, the old Hammer horror films. Oh, yeah. And um, I the one I had missed for a long time was Twins of Evil. I don't know if you've seen this one. Oh yes. And and that is like maybe the my favorite. That's one of my two favorite Hammer films. Now that in uh, The Devil Rides Out, or I forget what they call it in England. Uh, the Devil. Yes. Yeah, yeah, oh, right okay. Yeah. Uh, I think they call yeah. it the Devil's Bride sometimes in America. But um, oh, okay. um, but yeah, the devil rides out, and and Twins of Evil I think are their best two movies. And um, Twins of Evil is about this um, truly decadent, like Satan worshiping guy who becomes a vampire, um, who's like the count of the village, um, and he's murdering people. And then he's sort of opposed by Peter Cushing in his best performance, I think, as this kind of puritanical um, minister who leads this the men of this church congregation to kind of murdering women that he suspects of witchcraft, right? And so yeah. you get these kind of polar opposites um, and the film itself then complicates both of those worldviews, right? And and mm -hmm. and I think, so Peter Cushing has to die just as much as the vampire in that movie, right? Um, and, and I think it's just really such a, a fascinating and complicated view of faith, right, in action. And and I, I see some of that in your work, right? Um, uh, go ahead and talk a little bit about your oh. approach. Yeah. Funnily enough, Peter Cushing, I just had just had him. He's in the, the 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 second season of Creepy Cove. I was just writing his script and then editing him in uh, yesterday. In fact, yeah. What happens is we have because 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 the the conceit is that this church is in a town where all horror movies happen. People just kind of turn up, you know, at the in the congregation. And so, um, in the new season, in the first episode, there's they're basically having a kind of a, a, like kind of literary festival month of the brain, they call it, and they have a debate. And so uh, Christopher Lee as, as Count Dracula and Peter Cushing as Van Helsing are going to debate whether or not um, is it unfair for humans to demand vampires not eat people if they will retain being um, if they refuse to be vegetarian. And so it's like they have this debate and um, ed editing Peter Cushing in uh, to that. Turns out Peter Cushing has some toilet trouble, toilet troubles, but who knew? Anyway, I'll go. <laughs> I'll look but forward yes. to that one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, but yeah, I think what what I do with art, as it were, and um, by the way, I, I love all forms of art in the sense of like I really love cheesy stuff as well as deep stuff. So um, when I was writing my latest novel, which is exploring demonic possession, it's dark and like intense, and I was doing a lot of research for it. I would I would I would finish that and go and watch the Love Boat remake <laughs> uh, re, like reruns and it would just be perfect like so I I I love sugary like low 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 rent art because I just think it's all great mm -hmm. you know in in many well, maybe not all of it but most of it's it serves a purpose but the thing about art is and I think this is particularly when it comes to Christians is that um it it it's not I don't think art is supposed to be about control. Mm. It's supposed to be about release. And so what tends to happen is when art becomes about control, it ultimately just becomes propaganda. Um, and I don't think the greatest art in the world is propaganda. And I, I, I started to realize this, I think, when I was, you know, I used to be a youth pastor and then became a pastor pastor. Um, but when I was doing the youth pastor stuff, I remember taking um, some teenagers on a weekend, church weekend, and we put road signs around the room <clears throat> and... I'd said at the beginning, I was like, right, guys, uh, you know, 
why don't you go and stand underneath the um the road sign that best represents where you are with god at the moment you know and you know play a bit of music while they start walking around and i remember when i planned to do that i remember looking at the symbols and thinking oh well obviously i'll need to explain to them what the symbols mean because otherwise how will they know where to go so the roundabout for example that means, oh, maybe you're going around and around with your faith or the no entry sign. Maybe you feel like God needs to stay out. And I remember at the time think, resisting that and going, don't you dare tell them what to think those symbols mean. So you just experiment with not explaining any of them. Uh, and so I didn't. And I just said, well, the symbols up around the room go to where the thing that represents who you are, where you are. And they did. And I was shocked because they were coming up with multiple interpretations of these symbols that I hadn't even thought of. So somebody would go to the roundabout and see it as positive. Someone would go to the roundabout and see it as negative. And I realized that, wow, like I did this symbolic exercise and because I didn't explain it, it became a form of release. They started to see things that God was speaking to them about. But if I wanted to do it the original way, it's about control and me telling them what to think. And I think, sadly, that's what a lot of Christian art does tend to do. Mm. It, it ultimately thinks its aim is to get the gospel in, you know, or it's to present a certain worldview. And, you know, sometimes I don't mind that all the time, but mostly that it, it shuts down the potential, I think, of, of art. And it become, it, it, it basically turns certain people off. And so with the stuff I do, I'm quite happy for it to be mysterious. Like I'm like, for example, the books I'm right with my main character being a, um, an atheist and it, it, you could say it celebrates his atheism, but it just, it honors his atheism because people are atheists and there's decent reasons to think that there is no God. So why should I put him on a trajectory to make him something else? And I'm quite comfortable with that. And the irony is, Christians sometimes come up to me and say, your novels are really weird because they seem to diss Christians and promote atheists. But then atheists contact me and say, thank you for honoring my worldview. I now want to know about your worldview. Like, can you tell me? What, what, I'm, in, I'm intrigued now by this. Do you know what I mean? So it can open dialogue. But by the way, that's not why I do it. It's not some underhand, clever you know, reverse psychology to get people to get converted because that would equally be propaganda. It's just people going along, sharing their thoughts and being willing to be gray. Um, but in, in churches, I think one of the sad things, particularly in Baptist churches, I'm part of the Baptist denomination in Britain, but that's quite different to Baptist in America. In ba I think Baptist in America are a bit more hardcore. Like we've had women in ministry for like a hundred years, for example. So and, and you probably different. weren't founded to uphold the institution of slavery, um, like uh, the Southern Baptist. I'm sorry. Um, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry. I have to. I have to throw that little dig out there. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. But in in Baptist churches in Britain, often the art that is um, is displayed in churches is ultimately about control. Yeah. They wouldn't put it that way. Right. But what I mean is, you know, you could. Imagine if if you were in art, if you were in a, in a church, would you be willing to put a painting of um, an I don't know, like a train going off the edge of a cliff with no explanation, <laughs> or a painting of a kind of banana, you know, like sliding out of the hand of a of a postman, right, with no explanation, and um, and you would feel no. Put a banner on the wall which has a picture of a dove. And make sure you write underneath it some words which say, um, you know, blessed is the peace of the Lord or something. Because we have to realize, particularly in the Protestant church, we have been fueled by words so much that it's become about words of the forms. Like, we, you know, we, we came about, the Protestants came about really, you know, at the same time as the printing press. And we've been tied to that ever since in a way. Whereas other traditions are willing to have a bit of mystery and a bit of drama. And so, yeah, with my stuff, I just try to, I just kind of do whatever I feel like and share an authentic expression of what I like and what I, I'm scared of, what makes me laugh. And hopefully people respond to that. Well, they seem to, which is nice.
Yeah, and and I'm very interested in reading. Um, I I would have already tried to read this before talking to you, but the end of the semester has been crazy, so I haven't gotten oh, to sorry. it. But the um um the pur uh, the first Matt Hunter book is called Purged. Um, yes, and, and and the concept of that is so interesting to me. It's it's this atheist. Uh, detective um, figure who is uh, investigating a, a serial killer who is a Christian who's killing people upon their conversion because of his conception of doing God's will, um, basically. And, and that, that to me, I mean, I've literally heard camp meeting preachers say that that would be a good, <laughs> he wishes he could do that kind of, you wow. know, and, 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 uh, and, and I just think that the the concept is so fascinating to me because it doesn't have the sort of simple intended outcome um, for the reader to come away with. Right. And, and so, yeah. Yeah. And, and I really appreciate that. And nor does it seem overtly just sort of um, in rote, in rote ways, um, antagonistic towards Christianity, which is just as lazy and boring. Oh. Right. And so, yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah. It's a place that sort of exists in the middle ground, but, but certainly that idea um, of, it, you know, almost with 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 fiction, and with, particularly with kind of um, cult fiction, or you know, the type of stuff I'm writing, which is kind of quite pulpy. Um, you you want to try and take things and exaggerate them, and so that the idea of a person, and in the book, there's this person basically, yes, like you said, he will baptize people and get them kind of ready for heaven, but then he will murder them immediately afterwards, because that way there's no risk of them backsliding; they'll get fast tracked to heaven. And while that sounds absolutely psych psychopathic, uh, psychopathy, um, it it is actually quite logical. <laughs> um, like when you think about it, and in the book, for example, there's a discussion between about baptism, and and uh, and Matt's having a discussion with a Christian about it, and it's like, well, at what point do children become? Um, uh, sinful, you know, do, are they sinful from birth or is it a certain age? And if we work out what the age is, say 11, where they become conscious of sin, then surely it's in their interest to murder them before they hit 11, you know, and it's, and, and it, it obviously displays the, the craziness of that idea, but that's the point. It's to say, do, do we really think it's as cut and dried as this, mm -hmm. that, you know, being baptized or even praying a prayer that that's, that's somehow flicks you from one to another or is it a bit more nuanced than that uh so yeah so those those books do you know in a sense take those sorts of uh, approaches but um but it's fun and people like enjoy the the shenanigans and the sort of the solving crimes and and, and matt hunter's quite funny and likes making stupid toilet humor jokes and stuff at the same time as having he, it, the character is different for many characters because in a lot of crime fiction and horror, sometimes the the main character is troubled or they're an alcoholic or they're divorced from their parents, uh, divorced from their parents, divorced from their Freudian slip, uh, divorced from their wife or something. But this guy, he's happy. He's got a loving family. He's loving life, but he has cosmic issues with God. Um, and it's pushed him into atheism. Um, that is so interesting. Um, and Peter Laws, I really have appreciated this conversation. Um, I, I'd like to just openly welcome you back anytime you want to talk about anything that you're doing. It's uh, It's been a great conversation. Um, I want to give you some time for, to um, talk to people how they can find you um, and how they can find your work. You, you do like you're sort of the this multimedia um, uh, entrepreneur at this point and, and it's hard for me to kind of uh there is a, you do have a website where it's all centralized yeah. though yeah that's probably the best place to go to so if you go to peterlaws.co.uk and you'll find kind of everything there um my podcast is called uh, creepy cove um if you go to creepycove.com that basically just takes you to the the same website but you'll get the information of how you can uh you can connect with that and that that podcast is completely free and then there's also this patreon program which i'm trying to build and that is uh you get you find that at patreon.com forward slash creepy cove and people who connect with that they get a whole bunch of kind of extra extra stuff they get like signed books and creepy cove plectrums and all this sort of crazy stuff um but then i also do kind of extra audio things for example we had a shark exorcism a little while ago in creepy cove so there's like a <laughs> there's a full a full version of that or we have um jason Voorhees goes to the church and he's um he runs the fitness class, so we have jogging with Jason, and so you, li 
you listen. I'm wearing, yeah, a, I'm wearing a team shirt. <laughs> this is Lake Crystal Lake uh, Running Club. Well, yes. <laughs> about serendipity. So, Jason, you know, for half an hour, if you're a patron, he'll take you out on a run. And he's like sort of chatting away. And every now and again, he'll like slaughter a camper and then get on with the next. So <laughs> it's, it's all pretty bizarre. But thankfully, we're developing a, a great little community of people there, most of which don't go to church and many of which have been burned by church or find Christianity to be horrible, but they like to, I've had like atheists contact me and say, I love the prayer section of Creepy Cove. I really like the sermons. I love the meditation. I don't even believe in God, but it centers me. It helps me. And that, that's mind blowing to me. And I think what's good about it. And I think what people like about it is they feel it's a safe space to be themselves because I, I'm not trying to make them anything different. I'm just letting them be themselves and I'm being myself. And that's, that's what's all about in it. That is amazing. Um, I really, really appreciated that. And I, I highly recommend it. I signed up for your newsletter and that's been great too. Um, right, and you. Uh, you can do that on the, on the website too. Um, Peter Laws, um, th thank you so much. And I really look forward to uh, reading your books now and, 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 uh, and engaging with you in the future. And like I said, if you ever have the gumption to come back on again, you're more than welcome. So um, oh, I'd love to. those of you listening, uh, my name is Danny Anderson. Thanking Peter Laws once again for joining us for another episode of the Sectarian Review Podcast.